We're going to turn now to our reading for today. Paul's going to read to us. It's from Psalm 119. We're not going to read the whole psalm, you'll be pleased to know. We'd be here for a few hours if we were. But it's uh, Psalm 119, verse 89. Psalm 119, 89 to 112. And I'm reading from the NIV, if you want to follow at home. Your word, Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Your faithfulness continues through all generations. You establish the earth and it endures. Your laws endure to this day, for all things serve you. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts. For by them you have preserved my life. Save me, for I am yours. I have sought out your precepts. The wicked are waiting to destroy me, but I will ponder your statutes. To all perfection I see a limit, but your commands are boundless. Oh, how I love your law. I meditate meditate on it all day long. Your commands are always with me and make me wiser than my enemies. I have more insights than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. I have kept my feet from every evil path so that I might obey your word. I have not departed from your laws, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I hate every wrong path. Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light for my path. I have taken an oath and confirmed it that I will follow your righteous laws. I have suffered much. Preserve my life, Lord, according to your word. Accept, Lord, the willing praise of my mouth and teach me your laws. Though I constantly take my life in my hands, I will not forget your law. The wicked have set a snare for me, but I have not strayed from your precepts. Your statutes are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. This is the word of God. Amen. Thank you, Paul. So today is Bible Sunday. And um, that's a beautiful song that we've just listened to about your word is a lamp unto my feet. And we're thinking about that scripture that, that Paul read to us. And um, I came across this true story about a hippie who was uh, converted to Christianity. And uh, he was reading the Bible while waiting for a bus. Uh, And uh, there was a queue there. And every now and then this hippie would say, Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Amen. And he kept reading on. And there was a skeptic, someone who, who doubted Christianity, 
who didn't believe in the God of the Bible. And uh, this skeptic asked this hippie, uh, what are you reading? And they said, oh, I'm reading about how God parted the Red Sea and left the Israelites uh, to go through. And wow, what a, what a miracle it was. And the skeptic said, don't believe everything the Bible tells you. The truth of the matter is that the body of water in the Red Sea at the time was really only six inches deep. And uh, the hippie nodded in disappointment but kept on reading. And the skeptic was walking away feeling, you know, pretty proud of himself that he had sent the hippie and sorted him out and set him on the straight path. And all of a sudden, the skeptic heard the hippie let out, Hallelujah! Praise the Lord! At this, the skeptic came back and said, What is it this time? And the hippie said excitedly in one breath, This one is the real miracle. God drowned the whole Egyptian army in six inches of water. Where I, uh, one of the colleges I went to in training for ministry, when it, it resided in uh, Woodland Road in Bristol, uh, was uh, quite a building. Um, it was a very ecclesiastical building and had halls of residence, a chapel. And we had a big stained glass window in the chapel. And it tell, told a story of a gentleman called William Tyndale. And Tyndale uh, was born in 1494. And he really is the first mover of why we have the scriptures in our mother tongue. Not just English, but across other languages. He was the first mover. But you see, it was an offence to translate the Bible uh, into the common language. And he believed so passionately about this, he was burned at the stake as a Christian translator. The Bible is the biggest selling book year on year. And I want to put it to you this morning that as a Christian church, when you kind of uh, filter out what we are about, this book is the central pivot of our faith here as a Christian people. You see, without this, all the philanthropy and service will be a social service. But it's this book of the God of Jesus Christ that actually makes that difference. It changes hearts and lives and attitudes and well-being. And we are a people of the book. That's what we're known as. When you go to court as a Christian, you will be asked to swear an oath on the Bible. And that's seen that if you're telling an untruth, that that untruth will catch you up in eternity. And I prayed earlier when I was at school, and I know it happens today, that the Gideons will give children a New Testament and Psalms. And so I want to say to you people who would agree, you reject this book at your peril. God is not interested in our churchianity, where we leave 
it all to outward show. God is interested what treasure is on the inside of our lives. The signs of being a Christian, we need that inward know. I don't know if any of you listen to BBC Radio 4 and the Desert Island Discs, and they usually interview uh, a person of notoriety. And at the end, they always say, you'll be given two books because they're the most famous books. The first is the Bible, if you're on an island, and the second is the works of Shakespeare. So firstly, I want us to think about God speaks forth his word. With social media, television, printed newspapers, we have so many voices clamoring for our attention and giving their opinion. And what I love about the Judeo-Christian movement is it's built on the God who reveals himself. I prayed earlier that we think about the beauty of creation, and some people say that's a bit like God's handiwork, his artwork. And of course, creation does point to a creator and a maker. No doubts about that. But it doesn't define how we get to know that creator. It doesn't distinguish whether a god of Buddhism or Islam or Christianity or some uh, Mother Earth spirituality is the way and the truth and the life. And so we are a people who believed in what's called revelation. God has stepped out and revealed himself to us. We read about that in Genesis 1, that God spoke and said, let there be light, let there be sea. And at his command, it came into being. God is a creative God. He makes things happen. And we discover that light across the cosmos. And then we read about, in John's Gospel, chapter 1, the Greek notion that Jesus, the Son of God, is the logos. The Greek word logos means the word. And words are powerful. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words won't hurt me. Well, I don't believe that for one little bit. Because words are very powerful. And Jesus is the Logos, the Word of God. And he comes in the form of a baby, a human baby, to communicate the love and desire and redemption of God. In the 20th century, there's a Swiss uh, theologian, Karl Barth. And his life's focus as an academic work was on the doctrine of God as the Word of God. You see, in the 19th century, we had Aldous Huxley and the whole scientific movement that sucked out the confidence of the Christian church, the rise of science and relativism, diminishing uh, Christian theological thought and ideas. But in the mid-20th century, you had Barth, who was actually kicked out of Germany for preaching Uh, during Nazi Germany and he said that it's not simply natural theology looking at the stars and the mountains and the seas which are part of God's handiwork but we can know God personally only because of Jesus. The gospel is not a truth among other truths. 
Rather, it sets a question mark against all truths. So you measure up the word of God in Jesus Christ against other truths and what rings true. And Bart says that it is the, the high watermark, the mountaintop of all truth. And then he went on to say, probably a very famous verse that you, you know, and, and he was asked a profound question in the media about this revelation and about confidence in the scriptures. And he simply said to the interviewer, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. It boils down to that. And that's my testimony, and I believe it's your testimony, and those of you who are viewing on as well. God still speaks today through his word, through the, the Holy Spirit. The Bible is not a corpse that you dissect. It is a living, powerful, it changes cultures, nations. It can change your life today. And you may have been even a Christian for many years, but you've dropped the love of God's word. And it's time to fire up, to be challenged, to be blessed, if you'll let God speak to you. The revelation of Jesus is awesome, powerful. If it wasn't for John Wesley in the 17th and 18th century, this Methodist preacher who was like the Billy Graham of his era, who traveled hundreds of thousands of miles across this land, changing this nation back to God, we would have had a civil war. God speaks forth his word. Secondly, apprehend this rule of life. In verse 105, Paul read to us, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Um, I don't know if any of you have got torches. You can now get a 10 million candle watt torch. Isn't that amazing? Um, but if, but some, this, these torches you can see for, for actually a mile. i never forget when I used to live in um, Leon C., I had one of these huge um, uh, multi-million pound like candle wattage and I could shine it across from the house, across to the beach and uh, people would wonder what's going on. Um, and you can see right ahead. But what God is promising here is not to see way ahead. He's promising it's a lamp that will help me make the next step. You have to just trust God for the next step. You might know not what six months will bring, but we have to trust God for the now, and we'll cross that bridge of the future in the future. And so this statement, the rule of life, uh, this statement that a lamp to my feet aspires for God's word to rule every aspect of his life. He wants to live out God's word in all of life, and it seems interesting to me that the Apostle Paul says something very much like this. In Romans chapter 12, he says, after expounding all about the glorious th theology in 1 to 11, he comes to chapter 12 and says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, 
to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so Paul says, don't live in conformity to the world, live in conformity to the scriptures. Now I know that's needs interpretation. We need the spirit to make sense of it in the 21st century and our culture. And that's where we engage with the Bible, the Holy Spirit and the Council of Saints and we sift and weigh these things up. But he puts in here something very interesting. So that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. And it's an interesting phrase of testing. He's saying that by living out the word of God, you will become a discerner of the will of God. What is the will of God for your life? And maybe you don't quite know the answer for 2020, 2021. And I would just put it to you, friends, we really need to be hungering to discover that. Sometimes the will of God is simply be faithful, serve, love, forgive, disciple, share the love of Christ, the gospel with others. The practical embrace of God's word in our life is doing the will of God. You're living in a way so that you're not conformed to the world. You're allowing God's word to determine the rhythm of life, not the world. The world be, will be forever changing. Our love for the word of God is best shown by living it out. I've been part of a Christian community called Northumbria Community for something like 20 plus years. And it's an ecumenical community um, that was founded many years ago and it's inspired by the Celtic Christians of these islands way back in the 6th century AD who studied the Bible. They didn't have printed Bibles. They had to painstakingly write out the Bible with with art pens and uh, were extraordinary, devoted to sharing God's love. And we hear about that love because there was a fella called Saint Said who incredibly got in a dinghy and sailed down from uh, Holy Island, landing at Bradwell-on-Sea, and founded a Christian community and then went to Prittlewell in South Inn-on-Sea and founded a Christian community with the passion and the fire of God's word to share it across these islands. We need a discipline. And Northumbria community has a discipline of morning and midday and evening prayers. And they've produced a book called Celtic Daily Light. And Roy Searle, the former president of the Baptist Union of Great Britain, a Baptist minister based in Yorkshire, is one of the founders of it. He founded it as a way, how do we keep these rhythms of life in a world that's so turbulent? And he founded it with an Anglican, 
and a Catholic, and he himself a Baptist. And it continues uh, across the world now. People are part of this movement, including myself. And they ask the, a pivotal question, how then shall we live? How am I going to learn to live as a Christian in the 21st century? And that's a really important question we all have to grapple with in such a complex world. And they journey together through prayer and Bible reading. Friends, what does the Bible mean to you? One of my friends told me his own story. He, uh, as a university student, was a committed Buddhist, a practicing Buddhist. He was a a white Westerner uh, from Britain, and uh, he would do his daily chants and meditation. He went to the University of Aberystwyth in West Wales, a great university, and there's a great church there called St. Michael's, a church in Wales um, and of the evangelical tradition. And he came to faith, Christian faith, in that church. And he made me smile as he told the story that uh, after he became a Christian, he would continue his Buddhist chants uh, every day, so many times a day. And uh, it only happened that no one in the church had forgot to ask him and tell him about daily Bible reading, about prayer, and about being in a Christian community. And then he later on, he gave up his Buddhist chants, you'd be pleased to know, and as a devoted Christian, really took up the scriptures and is now an Anglican priest and has had a profound effect across churches uh, through uh, like the spiritual disciplines movement. How are you feeding your faith? How am I feeding my faith? Is it just on a Sunday? Is it through a house group Bible study? Is it daily reading and prayer? There's a saying, you only get out what you put in. What are you getting out of your faith? Paul and I were talking on Friday, and uh, one of the things we want to do for the church to help, particularly those who are new in the faith and those perhaps who've got a bit stale in the faith, are Bible daily reading notes. And we've got some uh, reading notes that we can share with you, and we're going to You can ask Paul for them afterwards and we'll get them to you. One's called The Daily Bread. It's a free daily uh, Bible reading. Some of you will be aware of something called Word for Today, which is a a free reading. Some of you, like me, will have reading apps on your phone. I think I've got about five on here, from Every Day with Jesus to um, the one, Kate, that we're following. I forgot what it's called now. Um... Lexio 365, which is, has prayers and readings. There's so many out there. So if you're hungry to explore more, can I just say, email me, contact the office, and we'll try and get those resources and point you in the right direction. It's really important that we have those things. In verse 109 of Psalm 19, I told, I, I hold my life in my hand continually but I do not forget your law. I was reading yesterday in the news of a Swiss missionary, Beatrice de Cole, who was murdered. She was held hostage uh, um, in Mali by um, 
terrorists for five years. And uh, a colleague of hers uh, was released. Beatrice was 59 years of age, a passion to share the gospel. And this beautiful woman's life has been taken from her. There is a cost, my friends, to following Jesus. That is one example. There may be a cost for you as a young person about being a Christian, feeling a bit ashamed, but we need to stand for truth and for justice. The psalmist says, I know, I know that obeying your law, Lord, may cost me, and so I hold my life in your hand. I refuse to forget your law, but I'm going to hold on to my life loosely. Third and final shorter point, delight in God's word. Verse 112 says, I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. This is a determination, this is an aspiration to go on in the word, to finish the race. There was a, a church minister back in the 19th century called William Plummer. He says, you know, there are two things that characterize true piety. Piety is devotion, is, is being close to God. True piety, he says, is hardy and true piety holds on. What he means by hardy is this, true piety is not just sort of an outward formal expression of gesturing and doing all the right things and standing and sitting, putting your hands together. What he says is true piety resides from the heart and is set on God, believes God, trusts God, that God loves us, that God desires us, that God treasures us and we want to treasure him. It's hardy because it hangs on, it won't let go. I hear the words of the Apostle Paul, I have fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith. And we want to be people like that, who are going to run the race, whatever the cost. The psalmist expresses a determination, aspiration to finish the race. And friends, daily reading, you will begin to see your life and the life of the world from God's perspective. Secondly, you'll see what's important in life, the froth to what's really real and important. And thirdly, you'll make better decisions in your life because you're closely walking with God. You'll see the wood for the trees. In Colossians 3.16, Paul says, let the word of God dwell in you richly. He says, and in you richly with all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing with grace in your hearts to the lord the bible society was started because of one young girl a 15 year old girl called mary jones mary jones had saved up for 6 years and she wanted her own bible and she walked 26 miles in North Wales to Bala to get her first Bible. And the minister there gave her actually not just one, but two Bibles. That led the Reverend Joseph Hughes in 1802 
to say we need to share God's word with everyone, which then led to the Bible Society being formed. And guess who? One of my favorite heroes, the anti-slave inspirer of this country, William Wilberforce, was part of creating the Bible Society. And he's got this wonderful, quaint expression. And friends, I hope we can grab hold of this for our era. He wants to make goodness fashionable again. That was the purpose of the Bible Society, to make goodness, loveliness, beauty, because of God's word, fashionable again. I'm going to close with this story. Ralph Waldo Emerson, he said this, Believe what the years and centuries say against the hours. What do the hours say? They tell us things that are very uncertain. What do the years say? They tell us that a sovereign God is in control and that we belong to a kingdom that is unshakable. The more time we give to God's word, the more unshakable we shall be in times of trouble, pandemics, and confusion. Let's pray together. Father God, may we, may I, become a person who believes what the years say against the hours, the fleeting comments of confusion. Help each one of us as we listen and view, be people of the word, have a refreshed hunger for studying the scriptures. Thank you for the gift of the Bible. Help us, Lord, to be not only hearers of the word, but doers of the word. To the glory of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, world without end. Amen.